This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists discuss the week's media affairs. Coming to you from 2SER on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation and right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm Marilyn Hetrilees. Coming up, what world are we living in when a fugitive offers the media a more flattering photo to replace her mugshot? Plus, shock jock turned Senator Darren Hinch was snapped snoozing during his first day in the chamber, but he's still fighting to allow photographers to snap away. And was the Mail on Sunday wrong to publish a picture of their Iraq correspondent posing with a gun of a fallen ISIS fighter? Joining me in the studio from Guardian Australia is reporter Elle Hunt. Hi, Elle. Hello. And from the Huffington Post Australia, Associate Editor Josh Butler. Hi, Josh. Hi. A Seven News Sydney Facebook post stated, Police are searching for an escapee who fled from Surrey Hills Corrective Services cell complex last week. It went on to give more details and two pictures of the 18-year-old on the run, Amy Sharp. They weren't the most flattering pictures, according to Sharp. We know this because she commented on that Facebook post. She wrote, Can you use this photo, please? And thank you. Smiling angel emoji face. Kiss, kiss. The story's been picked up and reported all around the world. Sharp's comment was liked more than 66,000 times. Josh, what does this say? Were they endorsing her sass or her stupidity? Um, maybe a little bit of both. I'm not too sure, actually. Um, it, it's a bit of a funny one. You see these ones sort of happening every now and then. I remember there was a, a similar one, I think, last year or maybe earlier this year uh, in, in Christchurch in New Zealand um, <laughs> where uh, another guy had his mugshot put up on a Facebook page and, he, and the cops were like, oh, help us find this guy. And he, he commented in saying, I don't have that photo. And the cops wrote back, look, if you want to come in, we can take another photo for you in the, in the, in the cells or something. Um, I... It's a bit of both, I think. You know, people try and get their name out there on social media. They try and be a bit funny. They try and get the likes. They try and do all that sort of sort of stuff. And I think people always like it when you know you, they have a bit of a laugh at the cops' expense. I think so. Maybe maybe a bit of sass, maybe a bit of stupidity at the same time. What do you think, Al? Um, I I think more power to it really. Like it wasn't a particularly um, from what I understand it was something to do loosely with property offences. It wasn't as though she'd killed someone, and um, obviously we all need to abide by the law. But in turn, she wasn't breaking one by actually commenting on the post. And if you have seen the pictures, they are pretty grim. You know, like she's had a rough <laughs> night, um, and she's wearing this big sort of red blanket that they dug out from under the under the bench and, and draped over her arms. Like fair enough. I feel sorry for the. Um, friend that she's obviously cropped out of the picture yeah. that she would prefer for them to use um it uh yeah that must that must hurt where you weren't good <laughs> enough for the mugshot well there was another image that has taken off this week it was of Haley Garlett the cousin of Elijah Doherty the aboriginal boy who was killed in Kalgoorlie Garlett is seen standing between police and protesters trying to keep the peace in July, we saw a remarkable photo of an African-American woman facing riot police in Baton Rouge. It went viral and came to define the Black Lives Matter campaign. In the social media age, Josh, images are so powerful, are photo editors accorded more power? 
Yeah, I think I think totally. Um, in in these two particular cases, um, obviously there was a, a number of different shots they could have used on on social media or in the newspapers or on the the websites and that sort of thing. They could have they could have used the photos of you know the the demonstrations of people looking violent and and sort of you know angry and that sort of thing. They could have used pictures of the damage caused or or that sort of thing. Maybe you know traffic being blocked or but they used um, these pictures of people you know standing sort of quite peacefully trying to keep some sort of peace as it act as sort of like a human barrier so in in that case i think there's definitely a massive amount of power in in choosing which photographs to use because photographers are out there they're taking hundreds thousands of pictures maybe in a in a demonstration like this in an incident like this and you know if you're back at the news desk you're laying out the paper you're you know assembling the the copy online you're you're the social media editor you're putting that that tweet or that facebook post out you have you know, potentially thousands of images to choose from, and and to to frame one, to pick one of those images, is such a massive um, uh, way of framing that debate and saying, you know, is it a violent debate? Is it a violent incident? Was it a peaceful incident? Is this uh, uh, an incident that is justified? Is it unjustified? Is it whatever it is? These sort of photos definitely make a massive, massive impact in how people think about it at the time, and also how they think about it as we go forward. How think people think about it in five, ten years' time. But you know what? Is that um, I feel like the actual um, power of photo editors is actually lessened now that everyone's got a camera phone that takes photos of a quality that can be reproduced. So that actually, if you compare it to... um, the the days where we only had say print media and say a limited amount of print media where the the view that the photo editor took of the photographs that the photographer presented them with um, that was the defining view and Mm. often syndicated across different platforms now I think you can actually get a view of um, how that that scene or event looked like from a number of different um, perspectives. From the public and, sort of point of view. And yeah. occasionally sort of stream live on Facebook. Like um, totally. now we're just getting both organizations, media and external and individuals just chucking everything up on Facebook Live. So... Um, in some ways, I think picture editors' jobs have been more have become more about um, probably sifting through a, a lot of quantity and not much quality. Yeah. Um, I know our picture editor at Garden Australia has um, a field day setting the the minimum level of social media screen grabs we'll take. You know what I mean? Like um, he'll only uh, he he's like I know we have to take these things off social media, but can we at least have sort of like some that are the best quality and the highest quality? On, on that point too, oftentimes you'll see these really viral tweets and people were saying, here's the photo that you that the media won't show you or here's the photo that you won't see in the papers or that sort of thing. And it'll be like, like you say, like an alternate sort of view of a, uh, maybe a scene that you've seen before and, and they go just crazy viral because mm. people like to, you know, say that, oh, you know, the media is not showing you this or media is kind of, you know, obfuscating People love, this love to they, they beg love on to the media, don't they? And yeah. the, you see those things quite often that yeah. here's, here's the picture the media won't show you. And Josh, what's involved in selecting the right photo to accompany your story, like, say, a crime story? Um, it's Again, it sort of depends on how your newsroom sort of works. Like, for me at Huffington Post, like, I basically have a lot of power to choose which images I want to choose. Maybe in other news organisations, the journalist writes the story and, you know, the editor might lay out the, the page or the, the photo editor might put it together or, or that sort of thing. There might be a social media team who chooses which photo works best on social media, that sort of thing. Um it definitely comes down to what sort of organisation you're running there, but for me, when I'm when I'm trying to choose a picture of this sort of thing, I, you 
try and pick the photo that's either going to have the most impact or maybe the, like depending on the situation maybe the one that's the more sort of neutral sort of photo to keep things pretty pretty neutral I think it depends very much on on the tone of the story and mm. what you're trying to communicate I suppose doesn't it and it's standard practice these days for journalists to actually trawl through social media when reporting on the circumstance of someone's death. Last week, the Daily Telegraph accompanied their front page story of the fatal Queensland stabbing of British backpacker Mia Alif Chung with a photo of the victim wearing a corset. This wasn't the only available image. Why did they use it? Um, she had uh, many um, available images to use, um, and I know because um, our picture editor was put in the, the position of having to go through them for the, the same purpose. It's absolutely a judgment call being made by the telly, um, and it's not the first time they've done that either. Uh, it absolutely as well goes remarked upon by other media and their readers, and it does them a disservice, I think, um, when someone has been the victim of... a very well publicised, very brutal crime. Um, it just seems disrespectful to them and also their family members who will be looking at the Australian press from um, England and wondering what the hell's going on with it. Mm. Not many people have planned their will for when they die, but plenty of people have thought about what image they would want the media to use if something did happen, I think. Could we soon find people preparing something like a press kit with pictures of themselves? You know, how could the media respond if they did? What would it, you know, what if it was a suicide? I hope we don't get to that sort of point where you have to leave behind a little folder of photos to release to the media in case I die in and case I'm nervous or something like that but uh, <laughs> but you've thought of it yeah uh, not until it's just now than, actually but <laughs> it's also, um, I f when I imagine it it's not about um, dying but more about if I commit a crime or go missing yeah, you know sure. um, release yeah. these photos to the media if I go missing yeah, my, my, yeah people joke about that sort of thing as well you take like a really good photo online and people go oh if I Make it a little joke. Oh, if I get murdered, if I go missing, send this to the cops. Like you know, no. if I went, you know, the most flattering images that I have ever taken are the Snapchat filter ones. And if I went missing, like people wouldn't recognise yeah, me. Dog, There's an dog element face of filter, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like good. where are her paws? She has paws in real life. When U.S. teenager Trayvon Martin was killed in 2012, the image we were most likely to see on the news was of him wearing a hoodie, where on the other hand, when it came to depicting the Stanford rapist, the press used his yearbook photo of him in a suit smiling. African-American men used the hashtag, if they gunned me down, to call out the media's bias. So how does the media's choice of images accompanying these stories affect the way the alleged criminals are perceived by the public and later by the jury, Josh? Um... Yeah, again, it sort of comes down to what we were talking about before as well. You know, um, media make a call on which images they use and which ones sound good. And, you know, depending on the publication, they might take a certain person's point of view more than another person's point of view. Um, on those two cases, it, it is quite hard because, you know, with the, the Trayvon Martin case, obviously you've got um, those connotations with a, with a hoodie and that sort of thing of him being the, the black gangster, the black thug, the, the whatever. And, you know, with the, the other case of, of the, Rob you know, Turner. The, the, yeah, of, mm. of, of Turner, um, you know, the white, you know, good at academics, the, the athlete, the star swimmer, the whatever he was. And uh, people definitely take, take those sort of connotations and make a little story out of them. Like before you, before you even read a story, you go, oh, here's the, the black kid wearing a hoodie. He must be a thug. Here's the mm. white kid and he's wearing the graduation and, and the cap and the gown. He must be a, a good student. Like you make those judgments before you even see the story sometimes according to those photos. And also, I mean, also, you're absolutely right. There's an element of um, editorialising there with the choice of the photo, whether or not it's intended, it's, it's mm. implicit. But um, with the Brock Turner case specifically, um, I covered that for the Guardian a bit, and from memory, the 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 
the sheriff's department hadn't released his mugshot until quite some time after the crime started getting um, reported um, on. And there were some questions about why the only available image um, of him was this uh, high school yearbook photo. There was an there was suggestion that because he had, I don't know whether this was the case or not, there was suggestion that um, so the school or a fa- his family or a representative had sort of scrubbed the internet for um, unflattering images so that that would, was the one that would be put forward. But also the media can't use a photo that doesn't exist and hasn't been released. All we know was was that there was a delay with releasing that mugshot so it couldn't be used. What that what you can infer from that isn't known. But around the same time, um, this other this I think it was a Vine went viral, um, showing a guy googling three black teenagers on Google Images, and um, all the pictures that came up were mugshots of of black teenagers. And when you made the same search for three white teenagers, that was yeah, all um, really press shots of them, like doing wholesome ball ball sports and kind of like writing their CVs together or a youth group or something. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilles, and I'm speaking to Elle Hunt and Josh Butler. Under current rules in the Senate chamber, photos can only be taken of a senator with the call. That is, anyone inside the chamber can only take a photo of the senator who the House Speaker has called on to speak. Newly appointed Senator Darren Hinge thinks people should have the right to see exactly what is happening on both sides, whether the senators are playing with their iPads, tweeting, biting their nails, rolling their eyes or snoozing. The rules were lifted temporarily for the first day of Parliament on Tuesday and a photo was taken of Hinch himself asleep on the job. Josh, do you reckon this was the human headline pulling a publicity stunt? Um, I don't think that was a publicity stunt, um, but I think what he did after that probably was. Um, I think the next day, which would have been, I think, yesterday, he he tweeted a photo of himself at about 9 o'clock in the morning, um, a, a real close-up selfie of him in the, in the chamber, and mm. he's saying, oh, I've had my no-dose this morning, I won't be nodding off, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe under the rules of the Senate, that was against the rules of the Senate because he'd taken a photo inside the chamber without the permission and, you know, against the rules and that sort of thing. Um you could really see that as a bit of a, a, a stunt to say, look how silly these rules are. Because in the House yeah. of Representatives, you can take photos basically of anyone. Well, you have to be a, a photographer who has the right, and only certain photographers are allowed to actually do that. Like I'm, a, I if I'm in the press gallery there, I can't just whip my phone out and take a photo. You have to be one of the accredited photographers. Mm-hmm. But in the Senate, um, you can only take photos of people who are actually speaking. Um, and it's been a sort of a long-running uh, dispute um, among the photographers and amongst the journalists down there in a press gallery in Canberra over these silly rules and why can't you take photos in this chamber but you can in that chamber and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely a debate that's been ongoing for a while and it looks like it might be one that's going to maybe get it come to a head this session, hopefully. Is the idea that so that you can't have photographers documenting people specific people's reactions like having a, a camera lens trained on them yeah for a I, 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 be- thing. I believe it's because you know if you know everyone's been in a, a boring meeting at some point in their yeah. life or a boring a, a school assembly and, and at some point you nod off or you kind of start looking around in the corners or you start playing with your fingernails or whatever and I, I believe the argument that they're making is that you know it, it's not fair that you know in like a six hour sitting that you get captured for the one second where your eyes are closed or the one second where you check your phone or something like that but 
on the other hand, some senators who I, I, I won't name, but who are mm. pretty notorious for it, um, are renowned for sitting in, in the in the chamber there and playing Candy Crush on their mm. phones for, for hours at a time. There um, are some great photos of politicians sleeping and wasn't yeah. um, Kevin Rudd caught eating his earwax? Eating his earwax. <laughs> but was yeah. the, the laws the rules different there then, or did he just not? Well, mind? yeah, in in the House of Representatives, you, the you can take photos. Oh, I like, see. So if you know Malcolm mm. Turnbull's on his feet there in in the House of Reps, um, you can take a photo of Tony Abbott in the background yeah. there playing with his papers, which. Which he always does, or you know, of of someone else in the background who is holding up a funny sign or mm. whatever it is. But in the Senate, right. for some reason, rules are different, and I I don't know why. I've done, yeah. could probably tell us why, but for some reason, they're different in the in the two houses. And the photographers have been pushing for a long time to have those rules sort of equalised, so they can take photos of people in the Senate because these senators are sort of taking advantage of those rules um, and mucking around a bit. Initially, um, the this is the first. Um, occasion I've ever had cause to give any thought to this whatsoever but um, initially my response was um, enormous sympathy for the boring lectures I've had to sit through mm. but then I'm not um, I'm just a student wasting my own time and money exactly. um, I'm not an elected representative um, and particularly as there is um, as you say this uh, kind of discrepancy between the two places and it makes sense. So do you agree that these rules are ridiculous as Hinge says? <sighs> I think it is a bit like we say, you know, um, I've been in boring assemblies, I've been in boring uni lectures where I've definitely nodded off or I've, you know, found more interesting things to do with my time to doodle on a bit of paper or whatever it is, but I'm not getting paid, mm. you know, yeah. quite a hefty sum of money to to actually be there and attend those, you know, parliamentary sittings and vote and listen to the speeches that are being made and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm thinking, look, if you're there you should at least have the courtesy to listen in. And if you don't want to be there, you don't have to be there. You can walk out. And you know they are so hot on um, what the press gallery can and can't do and enforcing mm. that as well at those places. It, it, um, it seems like a double standard. Yeah, and I, I, I think, yeah, if there is a discrepancy between the two, why not? If, you, if the reason you oppose the rules is because you want to play Candy Crush, then... Um, Perhaps well, yeah, that's that a reason the reason to get there, rid there of have, them. There have been sort of repeated efforts, I believe, you know, over a long period of time to to get those rules sort of changed so that the photographers can take photos in the Senate there. And there have been a, a persistent uh, group of M- of uh, senators who have hmm. consistently voted against that and voted that down, um, which coincidentally are the ones who are renowned for playing Candy Crush on their phones. Yeah, do you remember uh, BuzzFeed? I think it was a BuzzFeed reporter, maybe Alice Workman, who... Um, tweeted something about an MP on Candy Crush and then had her phone look yeah. through and, as and she was going through. And that's the thing, through. like I was saying, you, you, yeah. it can't be anyone who's taking photos there in, in the chamber. There can be an accredited photographer in front of me taking a photo. Mm. And I believe if I take my phone out and take the exact same photo that they've taken, I can get into trouble mm. there. I don't know what the penalties are or anything like that. I've, it's, I've only had a, you know half a year in the, in the press gallery down there myself. But um, I believe there are kind of, you know, quite strict penalties on who can take photos and when and why and, you know, using what device. How important is it to have these photographs of politicians in the Senate chamber, though? What does it? What do they bring? That would be my concern. Um, would be that it would uh, changing the rules would create a sort of open season on who can get the funniest reaction shot and 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 so on. But what's at stake for senators though when they're snapped by press gallery photographers? Well, the the MPs in the House seem to survive pretty well with that. Mm. Like Malcolm Turnbull, like if, if you know if you know that you, the the cameras are on you, I think that's good. You you should be you should be sitting up and paying attention. You shouldn't be slacking off, leaning back in your seat, and you know eating your own earwax or whatever. You, you, you should <laughs> be listening. You're a senator. You're getting paid, I think, one hundred ninety five thousand dollars a year to turn up and vote. You should be there. You should be listening. You should be paying attention. You shouldn't be 
slacking off and, and mucking around. You and also, particularly as these images will be on file, um, my first ever reporting job was at a Fairfax newspaper in New Zealand. And once we had a TV camera come in that just set up a, a camera in a corner of the newsroom and took a sort of wide panning shot. And my ca- my computer was very close with my back to it. And in this um, this clip of the newsroom, you just see me scrolling through this like tum- like endless Tumblr page of cat gifts. <laughs> and it's just like goes on forever. It's like, will she start? So that's what they should think about. And if the Senate doesn't back this motion next week, Hinch has pledged to support any moves by the media to challenge the rules in the High Court. Why is he so passionate about this issue? I think it's because it's Darren Hinch. He's, you know, he, he's he's a you know veteran broadcaster. I think yeah. he knows the score probably you know better than any other senator. I think he's been in the media. He knows what it means for the media to have this sort of access, and he probably thinks, well, why shouldn't we have this you know freedom freedom of you know the media to to do their job kind of without these silly rules. I think they're silly rules. Um, freedom of the media to do their job without the hampering of these silly rules to you know tell you when you can take a photo and why and you can in this house but not in that house and I, I think Hinch is you know I think he's he's right in what he's doing but I think he's you know happy to, happy to kind of stir the pot a little bit. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilles, and I'm speaking to Elle Hunt and Josh Butler. The UK paper Mail on Sunday published a picture of its Iraq correspondent, Mark Nickel, posing with a rifle taken from a dead ISIS fighter. Along with photographer John McLennan, he was accompanying Kurdish Peshmerga forces who were attempting to dislodge ISIS from the Iraqi city of Mosul. Apparently, the Kurdish fighters suggested the journalist pose with the gun. He obliged, they took a few snaps, and so did McLennan. And it was McLennan's snaps that made it to the paper and online. Nickel will also briefly use the photo as his Twitter profile pic. He copped a lot of criticism from other journos working in the Middle East, so he took it down. They claimed it undermined journalistic neutrality, which is ultimately a safety issue for every journo working in the Middle East. No one wants to be a target for ISIS. Was the Mail on Sunday totally out of line on this one? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can we? Is that is that enough? Can we stay there? <laughs> um, yeah. No. I, I think on that one, like you know, just like med- medical personnel in, in war zones and that sort of thing, journalists are pretty much seen as off limits. Oftentimes, you know, in, in fighting and that sort of thing. And um, I think any sort of moves by by a journalist to say, you know, we support this side or we support that side or whatever it is, obviously the, the other side in that conflict is not going to like that very or to much. Or pose with a weapon and then yeah. make it your Twitter like I, Twitter profile pic. Look, what the heck? I, the photo itself isn't the problematic thing for me. Like, if you want to take a photo, keep a few photos in the collection, that's yeah. fine. But if your paper is in publishing that, they're, they're essentially saying, look, we're, hold, we're, we're literally taking up arms for this side in the conflict. And that means they're on the opposite side to ISIS. And ISIS have, you know, been, you know, reported as attacking journalists, killing journalists, that sort of thing. Um, I don't think you want to give these guys any more kind of, you know, fodder to, you know, any more kind of encouragement to go out and start, you know, targeting journalists and that sort of thing. But, you know, like I say, it it was the publication of that photo and then this guy using it as his Twitter profile photo, which I think is the, the real issue there. The connotations of that just seem like he thinks he's on safari or something. Like mm. it's just having having mm. a, having a fun time. Yeah. Like with the obvious risks, risk, not just for journalists there, his colleagues, you'd assume, but also everyone who is at risk of a terrorist attack, which is pretty much anyone, anywhere. It boggles the mind, really. When you think about um, how the conversation some media organizations are having around the world is whether or not to print the names and photos of of terrorists like 
making the turning the sort of camera on yourself is seems unnecessary. I don't know what kind of crossed their minds. Do you think it was a dangerous move on his behalf? Well, I, I, if you I, if you can't prove it, it isn't, why would you take the risk in that situation? And these days, war images are so powerful, like the photos of the three-year-old refugee, Alian Kurdi, who drowned off the coast of Turkey, and more recently the photograph of the Syrian boy, Omran Daknish, who was injured in an airstrike. You know, I, mm, I covered this for the, the Guardian, and it was astonishing to see how much interest there was instantly in mm. it. Like, um, the actual photo, it's not a photo, it's a screen grab of a video that the um, Aleppo Media Centre oh, yeah. posted. They're a... Um, anti-government media organization working from within Aleppo um, and they put up a clip of I think it was only about a minute and a half that that still is from a, a tiny bit most of the clip doesn't show Omran um, but I think it was a telegraph reporter that initially screen grabbed it um, then he tweeted it and then other people tweeted it and then it became a photo and um, yeah I mean he, that little boy Omran, he um, was discharged from hospital. His his older brother later died. No, like I reported on it, as I said, but um, and it had the uh, flow on effect of a lot of um, increased interest to our Aleppo coverage, mostly out of the UK. Um, but you know. Now we're talking about Darren Hinch and the and the photo rules, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, I think most people have no idea what's going on in Syria until something like this comes up. You know, they see the photo, it has that impact. But does it really achieve anything? Um, I, I think if it achieves, you know, even one person going, oh, look, there's a war in Syria. I didn't know about that. Like, I think that's definitely, it's, that's definitely mm-hmm. a, a worthwhile impact. My impression is very much that it's, it does make people think about it and then it makes people move on from it pretty quickly. Like, I don't know what action it translates to beyond just... I think it's a good for people to have an uncomfortable mm. reminder, um, but I don't think it actually it helps at all. That's not to say that I don't think we should do it. It's, I feel conflicted about it. But I know um, The Guardian has a fun feature where wherever you reply to a, a link they've posted, uh, the author gets tagged in, so you get to see all the, the lovely <laughs> things people are saying about your stories. And with this particular story, someone added me being like, can I ado- adopt this little boy? Oh, okay. And I was like, not through me at The Guardian. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I yeah. don't have that power, yeah. <laughs> all, f- all for it, generally. But, uh, I, I guess on a, sim- on a sort of a totally different but somehow related note, like the, you talk about the power of the image, and I think a really good example of that is um, the, the, the the images from Don Dale um, mm. up there in Northern mm, Territory. That's true, yeah. um, we knew about these these mm. reports of people being you know put in spit hoods and you know kids being tear gas. And it's like, we knew about that last year. There wasn't a lot of information in that Four Corners story, that, that really explosive story, that was brand new. It was just those images. Mm. Um, and once pe- people had read about these stories, it was on the front page of newspapers. It was, you know, leading news coverage and that sort of so thing. There was a Royal Commission hours after it aired. And that's it. As soon as, as soon as yeah. we saw the pictures of something that happened a year or, or, or you know, a year and a bit more ago, mm. um, Royal Commission, there was instant outrage. It was the biggest story in the whole country for a few days because we finally got the images. Um, and it's just that power of the image. You, you can read a hundred news stories about something, but like, like the, it's that old cliche that a picture tells a thousand words. Um, once you actually see it with your own eyes and you go, wow, this is this is happening. This is in front of my face here. Now it's burned into my memory. People go, wow, we should do something about this. Not just, oh, look, I can forget that news story because I read a new one five minutes ago. Like it's, you, you see a picture and it, it, it has more impact than 100 news stories sometimes. 
Well, that's it from us on Fourth Estate. Thanks to my guests, Elle Hunt and Josh Butler. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Fourth Estate podcast. My name's Marilyn Hetrilies. You can catch us at the same time next week. Thank you.